Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. The Blackbird Lease Estate is located in southeast Oxford, around four miles from the city centre. It was constructed in the mid-20th century to combat the desperate need for housing. The properties are a collection of high-rise flats and terraced homes, some of which back on to allotments. In the early 1990s, problems arose on the estate. Several young men tainted the pleasant atmosphere with antisocial behaviour, the main issue being joyriding. In the evenings, they would steal cars and then race them round the estate, sometimes abandoning them and setting the vehicles alight. In turn, this led to an increased police presence in the area. The sun was starting to set on the Blackbird Lees Estate at around 4.30pm on December 10th, 1994. Henry Sheriff was decorating the back room at his home on Monk's Close when he was interrupted by a loud bang, a noise that echoed throughout the nearby properties. Henry wondered if it was someone joyriding again or a car backfiring. A short time after the deafening sound, a 999 call was made to the police, but when the operator answered the phone, Nobody spoke. All she could hear on the other end of the line was a man groaning and gasping for breath. Welcome to They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. 
This is the 33rd in a series of bonus episodes. Michael Minahan was born in Stirling, Scotland on December 4th, 1961, the only child of Pat and Tony Minahan. Michael grew up in a working-class family. Tony worked as an armourer at an ordnance depot, and Pat found employment as a factory worker making whiskey bottle tops. Sadly, Tony Minahan passed away when Michael was young, so Pat took on the role of a single mother, making ends meet by working long hours at the factory. Michael attended St Mary's Roman Catholic Primary School in Bannockburn. Then, when nearing his teens, he moved up to St Modern's Roman Catholic High School in St Ninian's. During his time there, he was remembered as a sociable child who made friends with ease. He was intelligent, made a good impression on his teachers and always passed his exams with flying colours. After Michael left school, he kept in touch with his friends and was a familiar face at functions for former pupils. He enrolled at Stirling University, where he sailed through his exams easily, obtaining a Bachelor of Science degree in Biology and a Master of Science degree in Biochemistry. On the weekends, Michael liked to play cricket for Stirling County, and he was a talented volleyball player, even playing in the English National League. While at Stirling University, Michael met a woman named Anne. He was head over heels in love. Barely out of their teens in 1982, the pair married, much to the dismay of Michael's mother Pat, who said her only son was making a mistake. Explaining that he might come to regret marrying someone he had not known for long, she told Michael, Marry at ease, repent at leisure. The following year, Anne and Michael had a baby boy who they named Michael Jr. And with each passing month, Michael Jr. was looking more and more like his father. Unfortunately for the couple, Michael's mother Pat was right about the marriage. It was not to last, and in 1986, the couple separated. And remarried and moved with Michael Jr. to Alva in Clackmannanshire. After graduating from university, Michael moved to England and began training at Southmead Hospital in Bristol, where he studied to become a doctor. In his PhD, he would quote T.H. Huxley, the Victorian biologist, when he wrote, Sit down before the facts like a little child and be prepared to give up every preconceived notion. Then in 1990, Michael Minahan packed up his things and moved to Oxford, where he began working as a researcher at Oxford University's Sir William Dunn School of Pathology. He researched molecular biology. 
One colleague described Michael as a hard-working man who was dedicated to his profession. Some friends referred to him using his nickname of Spike. While Michael did spend some time lecturing students, his primary focus was special research projects. He eventually settled down on Monk's Close in the Blackbird Lees estate. The properties in the area were predominantly council houses, and it cost Michael £55,000 for a three-bedroom home, just a little more than it would have been for a small flat in central Oxford at the time. His neighbours noted that the doctor, who sometimes wore his hair in a ponytail, would often take the time to stop and have a friendly chat with the local children. It was a quiet Saturday afternoon in Oxford on December 10th, 1994. Just before 4.30pm, Michael sat down in his living room to watch the football results on the television. He was a massive Celtics fan, much like his mother and father. His parents had met through the Celtics supporters club. Realising he had a few minutes to spare, Michael got up and went into the kitchen to make himself a cup of tea. As he stood in front of the window, a shadowy figure appeared outside. Before Michael even had a chance to react, he saw a flash of light and heard a deafening bang as the window glass shattered. Michael was hurled backwards. He had been shot once in the chest with a 12-bore shotgun. Smoke flooded the gaping hole in the kitchen window. Michael managed to crawl across the floor to his wall-mounted telephone. He was just able to raise himself up despite the pain and grab the telephone, dialing the numbers 999. Blood was seeping out from the injury, and with each second that passed, he was becoming weaker and weaker. When the operator answered, Michael could not speak. The operator could only hear moaning and laboured breaths. She could tell that the situation was dire, so traced the phone call to Michael's home, and help was dispatched immediately. Officers from the Thames Valley Police journeyed to the Blackbird Lees Estate with sirens blaring, a journey which took them approximately a quarter of an hour. They pulled up outside and approached the front door, before finding it locked. They could see it was dark inside the property, apart from the flickering lights from the television in the living room. As one of the officers pounded on the front door, another walked around the vicinity of the home, trying to find either an unlocked door or an unlocked window. He approached the kitchen window and saw the damage to the glass. The officer peered through to see Michael on the floor. It was clear he was seriously injured. 
the officer ran back to his colleagues to inform them of the dire situation. The front door was forced open as a matter of urgency, and they sprinted through the home going directly to the kitchen. As soon as they got close, officers realised how serious things were. There was a large hole in Michael's chest, and the floor was drenched with blood. Nearby, the telephone lay off the hook. There was nothing that could be done. Michael Minahan had already passed away, having bled to death in the 15 minutes from when he made the phone call to when the police arrived. Forensic experts were called to the home, and as they were cordoning off the property with crime scene tape, a frantic woman appeared outside, screaming for information from officers. She identified herself as Denise. The woman explained to the police that she had been trying to reach Michael at home and work because they had arranged to meet up that night, but he was not answering his phone. She said she had driven over after becoming concerned, only to find police officers swarming the estate. Michael Minahan's body was examined, and it was determined his cause of death was a hemorrhage of the chest. It was believed that the gunman discharged the weapon anywhere between 6 to 12 feet away. Back at the scene, the investigation began. The scene of crime officers combed the home for any clues. Their colleagues fanned out further afield in search of the murder weapon. They filtered through the refuse bins nearby but found nothing of interest. Presumably the killer had fled the scene with the weapon, but officers wanted to ensure that was the case. It was speculated that the gunman had approached Michael's home on a cul-de-sac through allotments which joined the back of his garden. Two men were at the allotment during this period, but they were preoccupied, spending the entire afternoon drinking and did not see a thing. Many people in the neighbourhood had heard the shot, but did not realise what it was. Some thought it was a firework, while others believed it to be a car backfiring or something heavy falling to the ground. Nobody had witnessed anything suspicious, nor did they hear the killer fleeing from the scene. According to Michael Minahan's neighbours, in the lead-up to his murder, he had taken measures to further secure his home and enhance his privacy. He had removed his telephone number from the public directory, kept his doors locked, and put sheets over his windows. The only window that was not covered was in the kitchen. Providing an update on what information they had gathered so far, one police officer told reporters, This is like an episode from Inspector Morse. The victim was single, but we believe he had several lady friends. 
It is possible that it was something in the background of one of those relationships that caused his death. Investigators promptly began looking into this angle, considering that Michael had been safety conscious for some as-of-yet unknown reason. They eventually reached the conclusion that Michael was not necessarily afraid for his own safety, but theft was a concern. His home had been burgled in the past, so he removed his phone number from the public directory to ensure that any would-be burglars could not obtain it and call to see if the property was empty. Regarding the sheets over the windows, the Thames Valley Police chalked this up to being a man who lived alone and did not wish to spend his money on curtains. By all accounts, Michael was not particularly house-proud, The garden was overgrown, and the inside of the property wasn't much different. Michael liked to live a modest and simple life. As one friend said, only the living room felt like a home. The rest of the house was cold. Another theory that the police were considering was whether a hitman killed Michael. Rumours were rampant that the murder had all the hallmarks of a targeted attack, but Detective Superintendent John Bound, who was leading the inquiry, made it clear he was keeping an open mind. Investigators were also keen to look into Michael's life, as they dug deeper to try and establish if there was anybody who may have wanted to harm him. They were stumped. Michael was a well-liked and respected man, someone who appeared to have no enemies. One senior officer commented to the media, We're going to have our work cut out so we even find a motive. There is nothing to indicate why Michael was murdered, or to suggest why anyone would want him dead. With the investigation in full swing, Detectives explored the possibility that Michael was targeted by someone linked to his love life, either a jealous rival or even a bitter ex-partner that few knew about. Officers came to learn from neighbours that in the five years Michael had lived on Monk's Close, several women had visited him at different times. One neighbour even recalled the police being called out to the house following a disturbance involving a woman. And another local resident, Val Dorgan, remarked, Although he was very quiet and private, he seemed to have a tangled love life. While neighbours made it appear as though Michael was some kind of Casanova, the truth was a different story. The Thames Valley Police learned that for five years until the previous Easter, Michael had been living with a woman named Jenny, who was a psychology student. Towards the end of their relationship, things took a turn for the worse. During one argument, the police had been called out to the home to defuse the situation. Then, sometime later, the emergency services were again contacted when Michael was attacked by another woman with a pair of scissors. 
This other person was a new girlfriend of Michael's, but the romance was short-lived. After they went their separate ways, Michael began a relationship with Denise Holt, a married woman from Birmingham. The relationship had been going so well, in fact, that Michael planned on selling his home so they could live together. The police were just beginning to unravel Michael Minahan's personal life when the next morning, one headline read, Murder of Oxford Boffin. Reporters seemed convinced that Michael was killed due to his liaisons with women. Since Denise was still married, detectives began investigating whether her husband may have wanted revenge. However, they quickly established that Denise and her husband were essentially estranged. They had lived entirely separate lives, only staying together for the sake of their three children. Denise had met Michael at a volleyball tournament around 15 months before his murder. At this stage, he was in a rocky relationship with someone else. The pair began an affair, but then fell in love. Denise later recalled, He proclaimed undying love publicly, and I was gobsmacked. Eventually, Michael called it quits with his then-partner, and he and Denise became an item. Denise even had a drawer for her things in Michael's home, and they spoke about moving in together when her children were old enough to accept that the relationship between their mother and father was over. As details of Michael's love life flooded the tabloids, Detective Superintendent John Bound said, He was a young man and cannot be criticised for having relationships with women. The police interviewed Michael's former partners, Denise Holt and Denise's husband. They all had airtight alibis for the afternoon of the murder. There was absolutely no evidence either direct or circumstantial, that could link any of them to the killing. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. By January 1995, the Thames Valley Police had conducted a painstaking investigation into Michael Minahan's personal, professional and love life. They struggled to identify anyone who would want to see him dead and began to consider that the motive was not connected to anyone in his life. By all accounts, he had led a normal existence and there was nothing remarkable about his circumstances. The police were perplexed, so in an attempt to generate some much-needed information, a £10,000 reward was put forward. January came and went, and detectives began to consider that Michael might have been killed as a result of mistaken identity. The investigation continued with little to go on, until a local came forward with a potential avenue of inquiry. The witness explained that around an hour and a half before Michael Minahan was shot dead, they had seen a blue car being driven at speed with a terrified man gripping the bonnet. The man was around 30 to 35 years old, and this had taken place around a 5 to 10 minute walk from Michael's home. There was only a partial description of the driver. He was a white male and looked angry. As coincidence would have it, Michael owned a blue Ford Orion car. This led to speculation that he had been mistakenly targeted due to this incident. 
the police in turn explored this angle, but as they could not identify the driver of the vehicle or the man on the bonnet, investigators obtained the records of local criminals. They tracked down a dozen people of similar height and build to try and establish whether it was an underworld killing that had gone terribly wrong. Numerous properties backed onto the allotment, and it was considered that a killer may have arrived at the wrong address and killed Michael Minahan in a botched hit. The investigation was exhaustive, but frustratingly it did not uncover any concrete evidence to show that Michael had been killed by a gunman who had mistaken him for somebody else. There were plenty of theories, but the difficulty came when trying to prove them. It was postulated that Michael had been killed while disturbing a burglar, or had fallen out with some local drug dealers. Some also implied that the murder was somehow connected to the fact that Michael lived near a convicted sex offender. The rumours were pervasive, and the police looked into each one, but could find no evidence to substantiate a theory. Eventually, the days turned to weeks, and the weeks to months. Police worked around the clock trying to identify a suspect, but there was not a single person they could find who wanted to end the life of Michael Minahan. Explaining that a great deal of resources were put into the investigation, Detective Superintendent David Blair commented to reporters, It's rare that we do not latch onto something which will eventually lead us to a successful conclusion. Statistically, we solve most murders. Detective Superintendent Blair also did not believe that Michael was the victim of a professional hit. He said the shooting was crude, explaining, One shotgun blast through a window is by no means certain to kill. Over the course of five months, almost 1,200 names were entered into the Holmes database. 200 statements were taken, and the police visited 260 local addresses and interviewed the occupants. Sadly, as not a single line of inquiry had led to a suspect, the investigation stalled and the team of detectives tasked with solving Michael Minahan's murder was disbanded. His mother Pat still held out hope that one day a promising tip might come in and lead them to the killer. In a 1997 interview, she said, I just want to know why he died. It makes it so much more difficult not knowing who did this or why. I wake up every morning wondering if I'm going to get a phone call from the police to say the murderer has finally been caught. It just goes on and on like that. As far as I'm concerned, Michael is not gone. I carry his photograph with me. And he is with me always. So where are we now? 
December 2000 was the sixth anniversary of Michael Minahan's murder. Detective Superintendent Ewan Reed announced that the Thames Valley Police were going to re-examine the case. The officer stated, We hope anyone with additional information will come forward. Unfortunately, the re-examination led nowhere and Michael's murder remained unsolved. By December 2014, Michael had been dead for 20 years. On the anniversary, his mother Pat said that the loss of her only child had haunted her every single day. She made a fresh appeal for information and the reward was doubled to £20,000. Describing how her son's death was always on her mind, Pat said, We still don't know why someone would be so callous as to take his life and rob the world of a lovely man and a gifted scientist. Twenty years is a long time to wait for answers. There must be people out there that know something and could help ease the stress of not knowing why this happened to my boy. I would ask that people who do know something search their conscience and make contact with the police. The case was subsequently re-examined by the Thames Valley Major Crime Investigation Team. The principal investigator, Peter Byrne, asked that anyone with information about the murder of Michael Minahan should come forward, no matter how insignificant that information might seem. Quote, Possible motives explored over the years have suggested links to Dr. Minahan's private life, or to his work, or to a case of mistaken identity. However, there has been a lack of evidence leading to any conclusive motive, and we have to keep an open mind as to what that is. If you know the identity of the offender or have any information that you think may assist, please call us. Several people did come forward, but none of the details they provided were useful. It has now been almost three decades since Dr. Michael Minahan was shot dead in his own home. Michael's killer is free, and the case remains a mystery to this day. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our patrons for their support. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.